Atlanta Born and Brand is a show all about businesses that are being built right here in the capital of the South. But more importantly, it's a show about their founders. We wanted to find some of the city's most interesting entrepreneurs and creators, hear about their challenges, successes, and how they built a brand that will last. But more importantly, we want to introduce these founders, brands, and businesses to the city they live in, their neighbors, to make sure Atlanta and the brands they call it home can thrive for generations to come. Midtown Bowl has been around in Atlanta since 1960. But like so many other buildings in the city, it was almost torn to the ground nearly 20 years ago. That's when two real estate developers bought the property with their eyes set on building a new apartment complex. But they quickly realized that their new piece of real estate investment was actually a pillar in the community. It's our pleasure today to welcome Tim Schrager and Aaron Goldman, the unexpected owners of Midtown Bowl. First of all, thank you all so much for hosting us today. I'm going to start and just have each of you, each of you, introduce yourselves and tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about you know yourselves and and how you guys got to the point of where you are. Uh, my name is Tim Schrager. Okay. I'm the uh, founder of Perennial Properties. Okay. Uh, it's a real estate development company. Yeah. Uh, we primarily focus on building apartments and mixed-use developments with retail and multifamily. And uh, we're sitting today here at Midtown Bowl, and this was just uh, a lot of a lot of quirky things have happened over the course of our careers in real sure. estate. And you just you never know who you're going to meet and where you're going to end up. And yeah. and this is probably the quirkiest thing that's ever happened, Aaron and I, is that we ended up owning Midtown Bowl. And so here we are, 20 years, almost 20 years later, since we've acquired this uh, this Midtown Bowl property, yeah. and we're still operating it as a bowling alley. Yeah, I'm Aaron Goldman, and uh, I'm uh, Tim's partner and brother-in-law. Um, I um, came from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, is where I was raised, which is a major bowling town. Sure. So, uh, Laverne and Shirley. Is that because Shirley. of the weather? You got to be inside, keeping warm. Yes, I think it, it has something to do with that and a connection to uh, malt beverages. Okay. Yeah. And coming from Milwaukee. Um, you know, our high school was uh, six blocks away mm. from Brownport Shopping Center with the Brownport Lanes. Yeah. And uh, they actually had an activity in our gym classes to go to throw some throw some frames. Yeah. And uh, the idea that um, we sort of accidentally got involved in the bowling business, which we'll, we'll uh, explain a little bit later, yeah. um, is, is really serendipitous. But uh, like Tim said, we've been partners for 23 years. Mm. And um, where Midtown Bowl is today really fits in our philosophy for being a, uh, an active participant in the community. Sure. And I'm wondering, you know, obviously you guys have been involved here for 20 years now, but Midtown Bowl and this, this building has a, a long, rich history in the city. Tell me more about that and, and kind of what you guys know about the, the origins of this, of this place in particular. Well, we can tell you the, the uh, bowling alley is 60 years old mm. this year. So it was built in 19, opened in 1960. Yeah. It was called Express Lanes. Mm -hmm. And uh, just were, were the second owners. Um, wow. So it was in the same ownership for uh, just over 40 years. Hmm. There's a guy named uh, Jack Stein who built it. On the other side of the wall behind the pin setters was his printing business, Stein Printing. Hmm. And that, that was his primary business. And he built uh, his printing business building in the 50s, and shortly thereafter, 
We don't know why he did it, but he built this <laughs> this bowling alley. And uh, it, it is an institution in Atlanta. Um, we've met numerous people over the course of the last 20 years who have told us more stories about how they grew up bowling here, how their parents brought them here, sure. how their birthday parties were here, uh, how they still come here today. Yeah. Um, so it, it has become an institution in Atlanta. Uh, there was also, at the corner of the building, there was a bar called Sugar Daddy's. It was yeah. sort of operated as a separate entity. We've heard different stories about what went on at Sugar Daddy's over the years, but also was a bit of an Atlanta institution for a while. Yeah. Um, and so the bowling business, uh, you know, continues on today, mm. and those people still show up. Yeah. Aaron, tell me the story of how this even got on you guys' radar and the steps that kind of led to ultimately, okay, now we own a bowling alley. Sure. Well, as Tim mentioned before, there was a, a, a building that housed uh, Jack Stein's printing business mm -hmm. that abutted this property to the back. And uh, we went under contract to buy that uh that building because the, the business had sold mm. and um, Jack Stein was starting to liquidate um, his holdings mm. and we saw it as a great place for one of our apartment communities. Mm. In uh, working through the issues for development including uh, sewer and water connections, mm. we found out that there was actually a sewer line that came from the bowling alley and impacted, went right through the middle of the apartment site we were trying to develop. <laughs> And it wasn't supposed to be there, but since Jack Stein owned both sides of the boundary, yeah. he was able to do whatever he wanted. Mm. So now we were in a situation where we had to go talk to the bowling alley owner and mm. say, hey, there's there's a uh, encumbrance on our title mm. that you're going to have to move, otherwise we aren't going to be able to build this and, and, and the property won't be, won't be able to sell. Yeah. And Jack's representative was the manager of the bowling alley, which was happened to be an 80-year-old woman. And what she saw was an opportunity to have 241 apartments housing 500 people who would all be hopefully weekly bowlers right. and she wanted to do whatever it took to make it happen. So she um, found another way to deal with sewer for the property and in doing so um, she actually made me give her a kiss every time I saw her <laughs> and that relationship um, actually led to her selecting us as the buyer she recommended uh, to Mr. Stein, and we saw it as the logical next phase of our apartment complex, which is the Monroe Place Apartments. Yeah. And that's that's what we thought we were buying was land. Mm. So I'll let Tim explain why that didn't, didn't happen. It didn't quite work out that way. <laughs> well, there's one more funny twist to the story yeah. that Aaron is telling, is that when Jack built this bowling alley, he actually put the foundation of the bowling alley on top of his printing building, which was very unusual at the time, okay. but the the printing building was a very stout building, yeah. and so the back wall of the bowling alley was sitting on top of the roof and being supported by his printing building. So the coordination that had to take place when we tore down the printing building to buttress the bowling building mm -hmm. uh, made us that, that connection between us and, and this woman, Elma, mm -hmm. who was running the bowling center even stronger. There was a lot of working together with engineers. Yeah. And Elma, I guess, you know, sort of fell in love with Aaron and I. <laughs> and when when it did come time for Jack Stein's estate, because he had passed, 
uh, to sell the bowling alley, Elma was certain that she wanted us to buy it. And so those conversations ensued and Aaron really buddied up with her. And uh, he was on a, he had more of a kissing relationship with her. I was more just hugs. Um, But uh, yeah, she really took to us. And she, one interesting thing about her is even at her age, she had worked for Jack for, I believe it was 35 of like 40 years of his ownership. I think she left him for five years and then came back and was running this place. And she felt very strongly that that the that the bowling alley should stay around and yeah. you know should continue on even after Jack's passing, and she felt like she could convince Aaron and I mm. to continue to run the place, even though we told her that we were buying it for the land to build a phase <laughs> two for our apartments. That's not exactly what happened. Yeah. Uh, in 2001, almost immediately after we purchased the property, there was this internet bubble burst and the economy sort of tanked for a short while. And we decided maybe it wasn't the right time to tear the building down. And we went back to Elm and said, okay, we're gonna run the bowling alley for a little while and see what happens. And within about six to 12 months, we realized that it would be criminal to tear this place down. And so here we are 19, 20 years later, still running the bowling alley. Well, and talk about that realization. What was it in that first six to 12 months that kind of had you guys say, okay, pump the brakes. We, we can't move forward with the plan that we had to, to just level this place. Well, you know, Tim just mentioned that um, we felt that it was uh, potentially criminal to tear the business down. And I think criminal is an interesting word <laughs> because as we got to know the management regime that was in place at the time, yeah. and we saw what was happening in a cash business, I'll just say there may have been some misunderstandings about what was hers and what was ours. And, but we did realize that maybe with better um, management controls, yeah. that there was a whole lot of business going on here. Sure. And, that, um, and, and also the love from the community mm. of the business, um, where we felt that the, that the community needed a place to get together and uh, enjoy each other. Uh, a lot more than they needed any more apartments yeah. at that time, uh, especially with uh, 9-11. Hmm. So that, I think, was the flashing red light, is that we saw a real opportunity to build a business in the community, um, institute some better controls and new management, yeah. and invest capital in the business, which had really been starved of capital hmm. for decades at that time. You guys, one of the first things I think you did, if, if my knowledge of the timing is right, is you renamed uh, the bowling alley to Midtown Bowl. What went into the decision to, to change the name and, and rebrand? Well, we didn't do it right away. Uh, we operated the bowling alley for a while, and we came to realize with, uh, I, I mentioned the internet bubble burst, but obviously the internet came back in a you know roaring back. Yeah. And we realized that one of the things that was lacking was an identity of place. Mm. And so we hired one of these fancy branding firms mm-hmm. that, and spent uh, a lot of time thinking about how you could rebrand Express Lanes mm. uh, and not associate it with the expressway that was running by, mm. but with the neighborhood that we were in. Yeah. And keep in mind, while this was going on, bowling alleys were closing 
all over town. Sure. So we were the last bowling alley standing within the city limits of Atlanta, I believe. Wow. And and so we wanted to come up with an identity that that uh, anchored us to the Midtown neighborhood. Um, we tried all sorts of other names, and Midtown Bowl was the was the winning name. And we felt that that was going to help people find us. Um, and it was going to hopefully reinvigorate the business. Sure. There was a whole nother part of the branding about what should the theme be. And we went through numerous iterations about what the place should look like, what color it should be, what, you know, what, what should the paint colors be, uh, what should the screens down at the end of the lanes look like. And we decided that uh, because of the age of the building and when it was built, that we would go sort of metro, I mean, uh, retro modern. And, mm -hmm. and we, we went with sort of a 70s kind of theme. And, yeah. and uh, the screens were all old cars and diners and mm -hmm. that, that sort of look. And, and that seemed to work. Yeah. I, I also wanted to say back to the branding, because it was really funny, is first of many branding exercises we've done where we hired somebody to go through all sorts of um, ideas and, and then they came back to the first one we gave them. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, Funny how that works out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but another part of it was that um, as Tim and I saw the changes that were happening in Atlanta that were caused by sprawl. And the name of the bowling alley historically was Express Lanes because it was yeah. by the expressway. Right. And, um, and, and our company, our apartment communities, our mixed-use communi communities are really much more about an urban and pedestrian orientation. Mm -hmm. And we th thought that that was also something that was important to us, um, yeah. you know, to, to, to reflect in, in, our, in our, our branding. Sure. Well, and you talked about being one of the last, if not the last, bowling alley standing in the city limits. We've talked to a lot of people on this show about sort of the resurgence of in-town Atlanta post-Olympics. You guys purchased the place as that was kind of starting. And, you know, you mentioned sprawl as folks are heading out to the suburbs where there's no shortage of bowling alleys, by the way. But you've kind of your ownership of this building now has coincided with sort of the reinvigoration of in-town neighborhoods, uh, especially the one, you know, here midtown near Piedmont Park, you know, the the uh, advent of the Beltline, you know, that's just, you know, I don't know if it's, a, it might be less than a mile from here. Um, talk about what you've seen in the community and the community's response to this place as the city has sort of gotten that new breath of life uh, over the last couple decades? Sure. Um, you know, one of the things that we learned really quickly before we took over operations was that already the bowling alley reflected a diversity that is what we thought in town Atlanta was all about. Sure. And it's a part of in town Atlanta that a lot of people didn't understand, but um, it was um, exceedingly popular with people of all races, hmm. sexual orientation, and backgrounds from all over the city. Yeah. And, and the city was going through an incredible transformation of people, hmm. um, you know, abandoning long commutes and moving into neighborhoods that their parents or their grandparents would have said, you can't live south yeah. of Ponce de Leon Avenue. Hmm. Um, and now, yeah. you know, our, our company pioneered being south of Ponce hmm. de Leon Avenue and is working on 
projects on Memorial Drive and our friends are living in cool houses in Edgewood and Kirkwood and, yep. and that's that's what this place spoke to us about sure. and um, you know I think that that wave that was happening in the late 90s and early 2000s um, is now being amplified even further today and the in-town living experience um, for for not only young people but also empty nesters you know returning to the city and enjoying enjoying it midtown bowl fits an entertainment need for all of those people yeah and it's just it, it, it that that's that's where it connects us to what's happening in town atlanta sure owning a place that is seen as like a uh, pillar of the community is great but you guys are businessmen and you have to find a way to maximize your assets what what did you do or what what realizations did you come to early on in, in owning the bowling alley and and what decisions did you make to try to turn this place that you said maybe was running um, you know not as efficiently as it could have how, how do you start to try to turn around that business to make it a profitable, profitable asset in your portfolio? Well, I think the easy part for Aaron and I just being in business was the, the general operations of the mm -hmm. place. There were so many um, improvements that we made early yeah. on. The simple things, uh, just the blocking and tackling of operating a business, of yeah. dealing with the, uh, the employees, uh, working out a better garbage pickup contract. Mm -hmm those sorts of things. Those were the easy things. The hard part was really getting into the branding uh, and marketing of the place and what outlets were you going to use to advertise to draw people in. Yeah. Because even though, as we said, there was this great, um, you know, a lot of people with great memories about being here, the fact of the matter was is that if we, I think if you look back 15 years ago, bowling was looked at sort of as a dying sport a dying yeah. business and so it was challenging for us to figure out how to communicate with the public and of course perhaps the low-hanging fruit was we did a lot of birthday parties yeah. a lot of kid birthday parties we did a ton of those we still do we had a lot of leagues uh, Aaron can correct me if this isn't accurate but I believe when we acquired the bowling alley there were something like 28 different leagues that were operating out of this bowling alley. And the realization was is that leagues were great. It brought people in, but the league bowlers, uh, they were tough negotiators, and yeah. they weren't always the most lucrative contracts to negotiate to do these leagues. Mm. And on top of that, the last thing you want is a serious bowling league because those serious bowlers, they come in with with their own balls and their own shoes <laughs> they don't eat and they don't want to get drunk because they they you know they take it way too seriously yeah. and so yeah. we found that that the uh the fun leagues mm. uh where there was more drinking going on and more eating going on were the sure. leagues that we wanted and so we sort of retooled that whole part of the business to now where we only have about a dozen leagues yeah. uh bowling here instead of 28. um so that that's been a big change in the business sure. um but the challenge is not like, it's just like other businesses. It's just like our apartment business. What media outlet are you gonna use to communicate with the public? Uh, you know, social media is great, but it's challenging and it yeah. can get really expensive uh, to advertise to, you know, if you wanna be at the top of that list when people type in 
bowling on it's not exactly like the apartment business because there's not as many people in the space so organically we get a lot more hits yeah but uh pay per click can get expensive and when you're advertising and who you're advertising sure. to it's a challenge every day yeah and it's not just bowling leagues and folks coming in here you know for an hour or two of bowling Aaron, touch on the other things that kind of happen in this building and what the experience is like now in, in 2020 at Midtown Bowl. Sure. Well, uh, and I'll also say that one of the other complicated things that we had to attack was um, the age of the uh, infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And so how do you, you know, continue bowling while you're replacing a roof? How do you continue bowling <laughs> while you're replacing a kitchen? How do yeah. you continue, um, you know, we, we took that sugar daddy's lounge, got, um, uh, may it rest in peace, um, <laughs> and uh, converted it to a first-class event space yeah. that'll hold 70 to 100 people um, for you know a corporate event. Do your PowerPoint presentations, big screens, watch your um, favorite college football games, and, and, and get your team back out in the bowling lanes for a, a team-building event. We you know a practice that already existed here, and that we've grown is our participation in charitable events. Mm. And uh, we host and sponsor events um, focusing on homelessness, foci foci focusing on um, cancer, uh, focusing on HIV AIDS. Um, uh, uh, millions of dollars are raised here every year uh, for, for charities. Uh, you know, right now behind, your, uh, behind my shoulder, you see kids from APS involved in Special Olympics, all special needs kids, yeah. um, having a, a great time on a three-week program. They're here heavily subsidized uh, by the bowling alley. So um, it's, a, it's a very um, community-oriented place. Mm -hmm. And by the way, every time we've done something like that, we get repaid in droves. As an example, sure. um, we hosted uh, for free um, Takeo Spikes charity um, at Super Bowl. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm just looking at my pictures because, I, I mean, the, the amount of Hall of Famers that mm -hmm. were here, uh, Terrell Owens, Jerome Bettis, <laughs> um, uh, Eric Dickerson, uh, and and then there are people that you'll see uh, on a regular basis, like uh, T.I. or um, uh, Charles Barkley, yeah. um, who's been coming here for, for decades. Um, yeah. I think some of those Falcons wide receivers are exceptional bowlers also. <laughs> yes, yes. And this is a really interesting yeah. thing. So I had a babysitter who, who uh, for my, my kids, who moved down to California. And all of a sudden, I get a text from her, and on her Instagram feed, she goes, "You know, the whole Falcons receiver group is on lane 24." <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, I was talking, you know, with folks before we sat down for this interview, and that speaks something to the community relaxed atmosphere that's that's here at Midtown Bowl that maybe isn't in some of the other larger chains chains that. Um, you know, like this is this is a place where people come to relax and blow off some steam, and that you know includes the you know the high and mighty of the city of Atlanta, as as you guys were pointing out there. So that's uh, that's cool, and I'm I'm keeping an eye on the door to see if Ti you know sneaks in <laughs> you know while we're in this interview. But by the uh, way, it's, when people like that do come here, one of the reasons they, they do come here is because uh, because their relationship with our staff is such that they know they can come in low profile not get bothered and sure. be comfortable like any other customer it's awesome so something i like to ask folks towards the end of uh, every show is the f the future 
you guys have, have owned this building now for almost 20 years, and, and it's changed quite a bit in those 20 years. But, you know, in business, it's all about, you know, not resting on your laurels, looking forward into the future and, and figuring out what either the next step or, you know, maybe doubling down on things you're doing well. Tim, what do you see as uh, the future for Midtown Bowl? What kind of things do you think um, are in store? Well, first of all, I like Aaron alluded to this and just to mention that, you know, over the course of our ownership, it started slowly, but we have now gone through this entire facility and I believe we've renovated every square inch of it. Aaron was sort of joking about how do you bowl when, you, when you're remodeling the kitchen. Yeah. We literally had to demolish the entire kitchen a few years back and rebuild it from scratch. Um, the Sugar Daddy's conversion to the 11th frame. Um, so at this point, I believe that the only remaining thing in this building that we have not changed are the pin setters, <laughs> which we are told will last another 60 years. Wow. So you can still get parts for them and we're keeping them, you know. But, but we, were told that, we were told that 20 years ago, so maybe it's down <laughs> to 40. So. <laughs> but I, I think, you know, for the foreseeable future, if we just want to look out the next, say, 10 to 20 years, um, we feel like we've invested so much capital into this building that we're going to keep doing what we're doing yeah. and we're going to keep trying to reach out to the community, uh, to different parts of the community and to draw more people in. And as Aaron also mentioned, you know, we have this great event space and we feel like the future maybe is more corporate type of events. Uh, it's something that we're really going to focus on. Um, open bowling, you know, is, is great. Yeah. But uh, we think to really get this place to the next level is going to take more t corporate type of involvement here. So that's, sure. that's what we're going to focus on. Yeah. One of the things we're going to focus on. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that one thing that you've, see, uh, you've seen um, with the advancement of the in-town trends mm -hmm. is that uh, you come here um, and also with some of the incredible professional, um, young professional leagues that are here that make this their place to come on a Thursday night or on a Sunday, um, that we have, you know, created quite a social scene um, as like a go-to place on people's rotations uh, to come out on date night, to come out with the group of buddies, to come out with the group of girls. It's been, it's become quite the the, the fun in-town place for people, Virginia Highlands, Buckhead, all the Midtown uh, residential communities, um, you know, are, and, and that's because our offerings, what you see at the bar, is not what you would expect to see at your typical bowling alley. Yeah. Somebody can come and get um, a, 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 a shot of Pappy Van Winkle or, um, <laughs> uh, you know, Casa Amigos or Casa Dragones uh, tequila, you know, these yeah. are... These are very, very um, high-end, sought-after um, brands, and we also have uh, uh, basically a fight every month from all of the local breweries to become our brewery of the month on taps. Right now, it's yeah. Creature Comforts, awesome. which you know, um, it, it, you know, four, they, they're on four of our twelve taps. Yeah. So uh, it's a, it, it's a very, very. Um, fun and eclectic mix of offerings, and I have friends here who say, "I come here just for your veggie burger." <laughs> so, you know, what bowling alley can you know can attest right. to that? But then, yeah. my 17-year-old son will tell you that you know all the fried stuff we have is out out of this world. Yeah. Tim and I are too old; we can't eat that stuff. But. <laughs> and I also should mention that I can't explain this, but uh, I mentioned before that you know 15 years ago it felt like bowling was sort of a dying sport. Mm. I don't know what's 
the what the change has been, but I have noticed more and more on Wide World of Sports, whatever these Saturday afternoon programs are on TV, bowling is back on TV. Hmm. And so, you know, we're sort of hoping that there's a resurgence and yeah. and people will think about going bowling more than once a year. Sure. Um, well, in, you know, in 2020, in the age of social media and disconnect of community, you know, in a lot of situations, where do you feel more connected to a, you know, a group of people than at a bowling alley where you've got maybe a group of 10 friends, only one person can bowl at a time. So at any given time, you've got opportunity for conversation. That kind of leads me to my, my last uh, question to you guys. The, the business aspect of it uh, is a fascinating story, but... As we've mentioned, this space is all about community and kind of memory making. I'm wondering, do, do each of you have, uh, and I hate to put you on the spot, what's what's been that moment or that memory uh, under this roof that kind of sticks out to you guys as, as you know, something that uh, is a lasting memory and, and a reason why you're, you do what you do here at Midtown Bowl? Well, I've got one highlight hmm. out of several that I've experienced here, but... I did bowl a 211 once. Okay. And uh, it was Which pretty, is good for was, those of you that are non-bowlers yeah. <laughs> listening to the show. Yeah. I, I like to joke that Aaron and I are probably the worst bowling alley owner bowlers <laughs> in the country. I'd say our averages are probably down around 130. Okay. Uh, but on one memorable night, mm-hmm. I rolled a 211. I think it was seven strikes, a couple of spares, and an open frame. And... It was, it was pretty remarkable. Um, that's definitely one of my highlights. Love it. Yeah. Um, none of my highlights have to do with a bowling score, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but I will, t- I will tell you one bowling story that rings uh, uh, sentimental is that I, d- I, I, I did have a game where I actually bowled four consecutive strikes and still had a score under 160. <laughs> so that, that, was, uh, that, that was, I'm sure, unique for those of, uh, in the bowling world. Um, but very early on, one day, I um, was uh, bowling with some friends, and I saw some snickering at the lane next to me, and I wasn't sure what was going on. And sure enough, uh, right next to me, uh, living the Vida Loca himself was Ricky Martin. So <laughs> that that was uh, that was a very very interesting um, yeah. uh, event. And then uh, I also have a memory of uh, what I think is uh, Tim and my very first company holiday party, which was in the Sugar Daddy's Lounge. And uh, I think that that if, if we look back to that time, we could never. We could never have uh, projected what you know what would come of uh, our company's uh, Midtown Bowl and perennial properties, and uh, you know th- those were very um, exciting and very innocent times. And uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that what is also amazing about the experiences that all of these people, um, famous and not, who come here is that they see our employees, many of whom have been here 12 to 15 years. Um, that's been, you know, always the constant and that comfort that they all know each other on a first name basis. Yeah. And that's um, that's just been such a joy to watch. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I, I would just throw in one more thing. So it's not so focused on my 211 <laughs> is that uh, probably the most gratifying thing for for me owning this place is really the, the work we do with the community. As Aaron mentioned, the number of philanthropic events we've had here, too many to count. Uh, some of them with star power, some of them with not, all for great causes. Um, we were the proud hosts of 
the Atlanta Apartment Association that we're very involved in. Uh, they have an education foundation. We hosted uh, a bowling event raising money for the Education Foundation for a number of years. And the only reason why they're not here anymore is it's gotten so big, our parking lot wasn't big enough to accommodate the event anymore. But that was a, that was a great event. I just saw uh, Warwick Dunn in the news again the other day. He's a, he's a wonderful human being. He's got a huge heart for such a small running back. Um, but for several years, he did his own fundraiser here, raising money for his home building uh, nonprofit that he has. And boy, could he turn out the star power. Uh, I remember being here one time when he was having his event here, and I met, uh, obviously, he was here, and uh, uh, Moon, what's Moon's first name? Warren. Warren, Warren yeah. Moon was here. Uh, the Comeback Mike, King. Michael Vick was here. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I got a football with Michael Vick, Warren Moon, and Warwick Dunn's signatures on it, and it was that wrong kind of football, and all their signatures have faded off the ball, but I still have it. (laughs) It's a good story, nonetheless. Well, thank you guys so much for the conversation, and I think, you know, the estimates put Atlanta at growing another two million people over the next 25 years, so there will be plenty of opportunities and need for more apartment buildings. So I know you guys will be busy, but uh, for this place in particular, I know I speak for the community when I say thank you for all that you've done for uh, this place. And I'm sure, uh, you know, Jack Stein would be very, uh, very pleased that his legacy sort of still lives on uh, here 60 years later. So thank you guys so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thanks, John. keep up to date with Midtown Bowl, visit their website, midtownbowl.com, or follow them on social media, at Midtown Bowl. If you've been listening and would like an additional opportunity to support the show, we've got the perfect fit. Our first t-shirt, the Our City, Our Story Tee, is now available on our website. To get yours, head to atlborn.com shop. Atlanta Born and Brand is a production of Connects Media. We're a full-service digital media company focused on helping small businesses tell their story in the most effective way they can. If you'd like to tell the story of your business, we'd love to help. You can find us at connectstatl.com. Special thanks go out to our producer, Catherine Hilliard, and the Connects Media team of Chris Hilliard, Mackenzie Bates, and Andrew Blaylock. Stay tuned to the show for more stories from the city's top startups and small businessmen and women. You can do that by subscribing in Apple Podcasts or wherever else you happen to be listening. If you like the show, we'd really appreciate a review and a rating. And of course, share it with your friends. Keep up with the show on social media. We're ATL Born Brand on Instagram and Twitter. And you can also like our Atlanta Born and Brand Facebook page. Finally, you can find all the previous episodes of the show on our website, atlborn.com. For Atlanta Born and Brand and Connects Media, I'm Jonathan Hilliard. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you all soon.